Hi everyone, welcome to Illumination. My name is Adora Mbelu and I'm extremely passionate about helping people live a purposeful life. On this show, I'm going to be talking with so many amazing people whose journeys I hope will inspire you, will motivate you, and will empower you to do so many amazing things in this world because I believe that you were made for greatness. And so I want you to listen to all of this stuff and I want you to remind yourself that you are light. Today's guest is Dreamtaprita and brand strategy expert Akinlabi Akinbulumo. Akinlabi has been at the helm of developing creative ideas in the Nigerian business landscape. As a designer, he has developed identity and collateral for several top brands, GT Bank, Techno Oil, Diageo, Sterling Bank, Nokia, Etisala, Union Bank, Dangote, amongst others. He has worked at Nakashi Consulting, Paystar Limited, and GT Bank, where he was a critical part of the brand management team that developed the most effective cutting-edge brand communications in the industry at the time. As a trainer, Akilabi teaches on brand and business development, leadership, operational excellence, and process re-engineering. Akilabi is also a rapper, a poet, photographer, documentary maker, and author. His book titled Think is a compilation of 50 memoirs that are focused on helping readers think their way into greatness and becoming all that they can possibly be. On this episode of Illumination, I speak with Akinlabi about breaking through the mental limitations and boxes that society creates for conformity. Akilabi, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you kind of like almost reside here. Yeah, that's so what I'm like, oh yeah. Well, I'm, but but it's I'm happy cool. to be here in this yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah, for the purpose of today, you're yeah. going to be a stranger. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, Akilabi and I are business partners. Yep, um, yep. And we've been friends for a very long time. Very long time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, for, for this conversation, we're not really friends, right? <laughs> I'm going to okay. try and learn as much. Um, about you that I don't know and hopefully um, you know the people who are listening to this as well will learn a lot about you and your journey that'll be interesting um, and it will impact their lives I'm hoping I'll learn more about myself as well (laughs) yeah I'm 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 nervous excited okay awesome um I think for me, I want to start with the fact that, you know, you're, you're one of these people who I believe, you know, has done so much amazing work. Um, you are, you've done so much brand strategy, brand identity for some of the top brands, um, in Nigeria. And you've done a lot of strategy work for brands, even on a global level. Um, and I feel like you're underrated in a way. Mm. Um, it probably has to do with the fact that, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times you don't necessarily, you tell a lot of the story about yourself, yeah. but you don't really tell a lot of stories about the work that, that you, you do. do. Yes. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Like, why? Well, first of all, why don't you like to tell the story of what the work that you do? Do you ever feel like you um, suffer from some level of imposter syndrome, maybe? Yes. So I, I do want to, to share mm-hmm. stories about what it is that I do. Um, but I think somewhere, somewhere inside, somewhere within me, I've always wanted to be the sort of person that was not defined by what it is that I do. Mm, I love that. However, um, I think I went to the extreme, mm. right? Not trying so hard to dissociate myself from what it is that I did mm-hmm. that, um, I started having <laughs> imposter syndrome, right? So there are two things that I think that I battle with. And, um, so one is imposter syndrome. The other is an ego issue, mm-hmm. right? And it's strange because for everyone who has imposter syndrome, you do not think that they have 
ego mm. issues, challenges. right? Challenges with their ego. Um, but, but here's why, right? Um, with ego, ego is really, I think it's self-protection, mm. right? So every time your ego is in display or you see your ego being displayed, mm. it is you trying to protect mm. or preserve an image mm. that people have of who it is that you are or who you want people to think that you are. So mm. if you want people to think that you're all that, right? Um, and it feels like someone is trying to bruise that or, or damage that perception of who you are, you know, your ego sets into place to mm. save you, to protect you from that image. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, I'm a very shy person, right? And I've seen that my shyness is actually my ego in display. So what happens is that I have this image and this character that I've built for myself and I want people to believe that I am. Mm -hmm. And the moment I see that I'm in a situation where that image can be uh, destroyed, mm -hmm. right? My shyness actually helps to protect me right. <laughs> from, from that. So I can show up somewhere and I say to myself, oh my goodness, you're an intelligent, you, you've made people believe you're mm. very intelligent, you're very smart. What if you do not say something intelligent? Right. What if you get into a room and you're supposed to have small talk and your small talk is so surface and doesn't make sense mm. and it's not interesting? What happens? Boom. I'm shy. And he comes in. I protect myself. So I still see it as mm. an ego issue. Right. Right. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this in relation with imposter syndrome is that I've realized that this is me not admitting mm. that I am something that I am. I truly am. Uh -huh. I feel like every time I do things, I, I move on too quickly. Mm. I move on too quickly from projects. Mm. Right. Um, I finish a project. Mm. I do not wait to celebrate. Mm. I move on. Fast. Fast. And then sometimes you tend to maybe like forget that you even did Not that so, thing. Every single time <laughs> right. I forget because I've moved on so fast. Yeah. I didn't have time to, to accept that I did it. Yeah. To accept that it had the impact it was supposed to have yeah. and I've moved on. Mm -hmm. And so when I come across that thing in the future, mm -hmm. right? Uh, say, for example, when I used to work at Guaranteed Trust mm -hmm. Bank, um, I did a lot of work mm -hmm. that um, I felt at the time I wanted to create timeless work. Mm -hmm. And I did, I put in a lot of heart, put in enough energy, did work. And then five, six years after, you know, I walk into a Guaranteed Trust Bank branch mm -hmm. and I can still see the work that I've done. Yeah. But it takes some effort to look at it and say, you did that, mm -hmm. right? And even when I tell myself I did that, I, I argue within myself. Mm -hmm. Are you right. sure you're the one who did that? Are you, are you really sure you're the one right. who did that? You know, um, because again, it's for a big brand. Mm -hmm. So if you did that, you had to have been a special person. I don't think I'm a special person. So mm -hmm. I'm not the one who did that. And all of these things play mm -hmm. in my head, but I'm slowly trying to get, you yeah. know, the more I'm becoming self aware, I am slowly trying to get out of that. I feel, I, 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 <laughs> I, I completely, right? It may, it's very difficult for me to, to understand what you're saying. I, I understand it yeah. on, you know, the level of, um, you're expressing this and I can get it. I don't understand it because I know the level of the work that you do, yeah. right? Where I, I see your work. And I mean, so many people have seen your work and said, Oh, you know, they thought it was done on a global level. Someone outside of Nigeria did it. And that's sort of the standard. And it's funny because a couple of weeks ago, I was, um, I was walking um, right in front of uh, Four Points and I saw the Techno Oil building and oh, I yeah. saw the Techno Oil, you know, there and I'm like, it's like Navi's work, you know, and yeah. it's the same. It's like if I see Sterling, but if I see any of these things, I'm like, oh, that's your work. Um, but, you know, you just tend to not necessarily give it credence, yeah. right? Like, it's like it's there, but 
it's not really there and you sort of forget it. I think my process, you know, the things that make me do great work, mm. the things that make me focus on doing great work, the things that are focused, help me focus on excellence, mm. I can see how they have helped me, you know, um, not share my story, mm. right? So one of the things that I do in my process is, um, especially when I, I, I think up a type of style, mm. design style. So I say, you know what, for the next few months, I am on this design style, right? Um, and I'm learning. But because, again, of the type of work that I do, um, and you get clients brief me, you know, um, in that period when I've told myself I'm going to accept and do a type of design mm -hmm. style, I now want to use those clients as a test case for the things that I've been learning for that type of design mm. style. And so when, when they approach me and then they give me the brief and I say, you know what, this is the design style I'm going to use. At those moments, I always feel like I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm experimenting. Mm -hmm. And so when I do it, it just feels like an experiment. It just mm -hmm. feels like I was testing out. And yes, the client loves it. They appreciate it. They think it's probably the best thing that they've seen. Mm -hmm. But somewhere at the back of my mind, I'm like, I've still not perfected this skill I was mm -hmm. learning. Right. So I can see a Sterling Bank motif. And when I did that, I just started learning, you know, how and started adopting my motif style of mm -hmm. design. Right. And so. I know the stuff that I've done now that I'm comfortable with. Yeah. But when you tell me, you know, Sterling Bank, you did that motif. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I was still learning how to right, do it. And right. I, I sort of distance myself right. from that, which is not a good thing, you know, especially um, now in this phase of life that I am in. Yeah. But yes, I, I, I'm learning. Mm -hmm. So I do know that mm -hmm. I have a fault with that, mm -hmm. but I'm learning to tell this story mm. yeah. um and and yeah maybe later on i'll explain why it is that yeah. i am i've decided to make a conscious effort about about learning yeah and on learning this yeah um and in that same manner i want us to talk about um you know your process in terms of your learning process yeah. right because i always feel like you know like you're just one of those people who's like oh you know i want to do this thing and then two days later you're basically <laughs> <laughs> you're basically doing it not on an amateur level yeah. at all you yeah. it's like you've been studying that thing you yeah. know and and i know the work that goes into it because literally a lot of times it's you saying like i've been watching videos for the past 20 hours yes. like i have 20 hours of watching how to do this thing and i can do this thing and yes. I, I just want you to sort of talk about that because when people hear about the things that you're doing sometimes there's an assumption that you're just blessed with it like yeah. it's a gift yeah you know, but it's actually work, it's, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's work. <laughs> you know, here's something I've learned over the years, right? That if you want to learn really fast, if you probably even want to learn really well, you have to first learn how to learn. And so I have, I have learned how to learn. I understand how the brain works. I understand how people, you know, uh, understand things. I know this, right? I understand how the brain works. I know that there is a right brain and there's a left brain. I know that this is how the brain processes information. I know that there's a long-term memory. I know there's a short-term memory. I know how to store things and how things are stored in the long-term memory, how things are stored in the short-term memory. I know what short-term memory is used for and what long-term memory is used for. I want to for. talk about this. Tell me a little <laughs> bit about how the brain works, right. actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, um, the brain's amazing. We're, we're amazing beings, mm. right? Um, and the brain works two 
pretty much two two separate things that the brain does one store information and then to process information right um how does the brain store information it stores information in in two different places right so there's the short-term memory and then there's the long-term memory so this is me just being as surface mm, as possible right your short-term memory right um funnily it's only about 256 mb mm. Right? So it's really small. So what that means is that um, there's only as much as can be stored in your short-term memory. Right? The moment it is full, it will delete all the stuff. Hmm. That's how the short-term memory works. I, I would I, I would liken the short-term memory to, to a small basket where, like, for example, you know, the small basket where you drop your keys and the different things that mm-hmm. you know that you will need on a daily basis mm-hmm. and need to pick up. That is how your short-term memory is. And how do you find things in your basket? You put your hand in, shuffle, mm. pick out what you want, and go. And when it's too full, you delete or you take out things you don't need on a regular basis. That's how the short-term mm. memory works, mm. right? The long-term memory, on the other hand, is um, is is unlimited. So the data, the amount of data that can be stored in the long-term memory is mm. unlimited. Yes, you store your short-term memory. It's pretty much almost the same way as your long-term memory is really by uh, repetition, mm. right? The moment your brain, right, um, understands information and has seen it happen repetitively, right, it stores in the long-term memory. Mm. And it only stores things in the long-term memory that it knows that it will need in the future mm. that it doesn't need to... Um, um, process, mm. you know, need to process every time. So what happens is, for example, riding a bicycle, right? So you repeat. So the only way you learn how to ride a bicycle is by repetition. Mm. You do it over and over and over and over again, mm. and then you have learned it. And then it stores it in the long-term memory. Mm. So what it says is, when I see a bicycle and then my legs go on the paddle, this is how it works. I right. don't need to process it anymore. Right. So it's kind so, of like dr- if you're driving to a particular place all the time. Yes. You just naturally know where you're driving exactly. on the road without having to focus on the road. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But here's a beautiful thing, right? And this is one of the amazing things about how it is that we as human learn, humans learn, right? Sound patterns. Mm-hmm. Once our brain can see pattern, it makes it so much easier to save in the long term mm-hmm. memory, which is why as children, we remember ABCD because of the song because the song right. has a pattern right. right and we've developed a pattern and as right. much as so as long as they, we understand that pattern right we remember it so we remember abcd because of that mm. pattern so this this is really how the brain works memory process information store in the long term store in the uh short term memory yes. and then know how it is to retrieve yeah you know where where does fear play in all of this so like with the brain you know and and i know that you know whenever people are like afraid of stuff right for whatever reason um it comes from how your brain is thinking how your brain is processing the particular situation so so for instance you talked about trigger words you know it's like if there's a particular situation your brain is basically triggered a certain way so how does where does that where does fear fit in and all of so, this? So it's really just from experiences that we've had or mm. that we've been told about. Mm. So I give you for example, I have a fear for fire, mm-hmm. right? I'm not, I'm not insanely afraid of fire, but um, I had an experience, right, where I was burnt, um, and after that experience, 
I knew what fire does, mm-hmm. right? I knew what fire did. And so I was, I was about uh, four years old, mm-hmm. um, and um, there was no electricity, and my parents had put up a candle, right? And uh, we we knew not not we rhyme, so we're singing mm-hmm. how the cow jumped over the candlestick, mm-hmm. and I kept going over, over it. and it kept telling me stop it and I, I had no understanding of the fact that fire would burn mm. if you told me fire burnt i didn't know what type what it meant really meant to burn right right and so i kept jumping because i mean it's beautiful light mm. right and my pajamas went on fire oh wow and then suddenly i started realizing that this fire was just building up mm. and i was running and my father was chasing me mm. and by the time he had finally caught up with me and then patted mm. me down and got off the fire my entire uh, lap burnt. Wow. Was burnt and i remember how it hurt mm. well, you know you just begin to associate certain things with mm. that episode and then automatically you don't want this to happen to your child. Yeah. And so you begin to associate this, you know, so you begin to fear. Yeah. And this is what it is that people experience. It is that they've, they've experienced stuff. Mm-hmm. They've seen the hurt. They know what the trigger is. If that trigger shows up, that is the hurt mm-hmm. that I'm going to experience. Right. And so, for example, with the um, amygdala hijacking, the piranha experiment, mm-hmm. um, um, I'll, let me just tell you the story yeah. of the piranha tell experiment. Me, tell me. So the, the piranha experiment is is a beautiful experiment that um, I shared, you know, in my book, Think. Um, but, of course, it is a popular experiment. Mm. So what it was is that they put this piranha in a, a big aquarium. aquarium, glass aquarium, right? And a piranha is a flesh-eating fish. If a piranha, a school of piranha can end a whale in a couple of minutes, possibly 10 minutes or more, right? Um and they put a piranha in the, the aquarium and he was swimming around the aquarium. Then um, after a few minutes, they put a glass, a thick glass partition in the middle. Once the piranha swam to one end, put a thick glass partition in the middle mm-hmm. and then he put a regular fish on, on the, the other, other end. end. The piranha turned around, saw a fish on the other end. And in his nature, what he did, did what it was that was in his nature, which was attack. Okay. And he went full on attack. But something happened because of that glass partition. It slammed into the glass partition, right? Mm. And I'm sure the piranha was dazed, right? Um, but every time it shook off the daze, it would see the other fish and it will attack. And it kept slamming into that partition, right? Till it was passed out, mm. right? Then the scientist took out the other fish, took out the glass partition, waited for the piranha you know, to, 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 to get well yeah. again, right? Then this time, without the glass partition, they put the fish on the other end. And what did the piranha do? Exactly what was in its nature. Attack. Mm. But something happened this time. When it got to the middle part, where it always knew that the glass partition was... It stopped. It stopped. Mm. Right? So now what had happened is that it had moved... This glass partition had moved from the aquarium to its mind, mm. right? And this is exactly what it is that happens, you know, with us as human beings, right? And that is that is known, is a concept known as amygdala hijacking, mm. right? So we all have um, a reptilian brain. What, what that means is that um, there's a part of our brain that over time has never evolved, mm. right? Which is um, the part of the brain that, that acts simply on survival, mm. right? So you, uh, you need to survive on something, you need something find a prey mm. right um if, right. You are, if you are prey 
find a way to run right, right and disappear that's we have that part of our brains right. right and and what happens is that we can't afford to keep to survive mm. we can't afford to waste to process every bit of information if not we will not be able to survive mm. right so what happens is if if a large animal a small animal meets a large animal mm. right and he had a nasty episode right save long term memory mm. right um the amygdala protects it by hijacking its brain mm. and saying dude you know what will happen when you see this type of animal show up run right oh you know what happened to your auntie right you right know why right, right. it's no more here you know you're saying this and, I, and i'm actually thinking to myself that you know i wonder if this uh, and i'll let you continue yeah. but i just want to say you know i wonder if this has a lot to do with um or rather our our want for competition yes has a lot to do with this this survival yes. of the fittest oh, this yeah. survival instinct that we carry so yeah. we're continuously looking for competition so when you think about you know entrepreneurship or you think about just life in general there's a continuous competition yes. it's like people always say oh you know you've got you, you always have to have the competition so that you whatever you're creating makes you feel comfortable yes right so it's 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 like the ego sort of maybe balances on this competition yeah. um, mindset yes. right is is making yourself feel like you're better than the next person yes. so it's like that striving yes. to be continuous because i i personally don't believe in competition sure. i've yeah. never done i've never yeah. believed in it maybe not so much as oh you just simply want to be better than the mm -hmm. other person but because you need to survive mm -hmm. right so if i need to survive right uh what do i do to survive mm -hmm. it means i'm in competition right so what it is is because really what competition is is saying that there are this amount of resources that are available mm. and we are all fighting for those fighting resources. for those resources right the more limited the resources mm. are the more aggressive our fight mm. will be because which is a scarcity mindset yeah, it's a right? scarcity, but, which is a good yeah thing. but you know it's interesting because <laughs> the challenge the biggest challenge i have with competition <laughs> really is i honestly believe that it's a scarcity mindset yes. however some of the most um, intellectual, you know, people and people who have succeeded at the things that they do, um, who have gone through business school, right? Yeah. Um, propagates this thing about competition, about looking out for your competition. What, what is your competition doing? It's like when you're training, even sometimes when I'm training on brand, it's like the conversation about competition naturally comes up because yes. whenever you're taught brand and marketing, the whole reason why you're doing that, why you're trying to position or stand forward or stand out in a market is because you're trying to make sure that you are doing it in comparison to your rival competitors. Yes. Right. And it's, it's just insane because it just, it just sounds like it's so contradictory. Yeah. Um, to what we were created for because yes. we're created to solve problems, right? Yes. And we're created to solve somebody else's problem. Yes. So this, thoughts about yeah so i think that it is the fact that we have this very warped understanding of what is enough mm. right so we believe that you know in our minds because of what it is that we've seen this is what enough means right but the truth is what really is enough mm. for me right and and so i think that a lot of people who and we share this mm. um belief or understanding about you know competition mm. and not the need for competition because the truth is what it is that i really need to survive on what it is that excites me what it is that makes me feel successful what makes me complete mm. 
isn't in the resources that all of these people are fighting mm. to get. Right. So I, I don't see the need to compete. Right. Right. Um, but in a real fundamental understanding of what competition is, like I said, because it is about scarcity of resources. Yeah. So for example, uh, when we teach brands, um, the fact that they're in competition with other brands, um, what it is that we're essentially saying is there are a type of people whose attentions you're trying to get. Mm. And there are other people trying to get their attention. Okay. Right. Yes. 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 Right. Um, and that's so, the context. Yes. That's the context. Yeah. So there are other people trying to get their attention. Mm-hmm. So how do you get their attention? Mm-hmm. Right. And some of the times, what well, one of the approaches, you know, that, that I've had, you know, in teaching brands is to say, you do not have to, you don't, don't necessarily have to try to get their attention at the judgment of someone else. Mm. So I don't have to, because I'm trying to get your attention, you know, make it look like the other person's at the other person who's trying to get their attention is not worthy of getting your attention. Mm. It's not what it is. Depending right? on what, they, what well, they're selling, right? What it if it's negative, no, then yeah, okay, well, yes, or else, <laughs> yes, or else yes, it's yes, negative, yes. you know. But I, I but, get what you're saying. But even yes. coming from just the place that you know, oh, we, we, it seems like we're doing the mm-hmm. same thing. But the truth is, in the in the end, if you look at it, we most likely are not even doing mm-hmm. the same thing, even if we're in the same industry, mm-hmm. right? So you are making shoes. Right. And I'm making shoes. And what it is that I'm trying to get your attention or the people's attention for is the fact that what it is that I provide is comfort. Mm. Right. Because I'm saying that I'm producing shoes for everyone whose aim and desire is comfort. Mm. So you're looking for incredible comfort. Right. That's why I'm providing my shoes. Right. You make shoes because you know that, um, it's at, so luxury. I want people to feel like they are a part and they've mm. bought into this expensive and luxury mm. life, mm-hmm. right? That's why your shoes. So your shoes don't have to be comfortable, but they have to look like they were made. Right. But the objectives gems. are but different. That's what the objectives are, right? So the both of us are really in competition with one another, right? Mm. But yes, we're trying, we both make shoes, right? We, we're trying to get the attention of the same types of people. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to get them for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are days that you want to look mm-hmm. luxurious. Buy her shoe. Mm-hmm. The days you're looking for comfort, buy my shoe. Mm-hmm. But understand that you have a story. Mm-hmm. So this is me to the client mm-hmm. saying about the 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 public, the mm-hmm. people in the marketplace. You have a story that you want to tell, right? You have a you have a story that your life is telling. Mm-hmm. And that story, there are days that you have to show up luxurious, mm. but there are days that you have to show up comfortable. Mm. Let that be how it is that you make your decision, mm. right? So for me, this is how I think that this whole thing about competition mm. works, right? And if you understand that, then you realize that there's not, it's not everyone that wants to be luxurious. There's just only a few people, right? Right. So which brings me back to my, what is really enough? Mm. Yeah, because I mean, like, if you trace back to the ancient days, for yeah. instance, all, you know, jobs that were done were complementary. Yes. So you know that we were created to actually complement. Yes. Right. So even if it was the core of a family, it's yeah. like the reason why the family was like that is there was someone who was going and, you know, getting the food. Yes. So you always had like the hunter, the gatherers, you know, you had like the people who would cook the food, the people yeah. for the community, yeah. right? And it was complimentary. We lived a complimentary lifestyle. Yeah. And it was the same with you would, you could read like some of the biblical stories, for instance. And it's like, you have all these people, you have two, three guys in the neighborhood, in the whole community that are known to sharpen iron. Yes. Right. 
they're not out there calling, oh, come and sharpen your iron here. <laughs> it's like, we all do it and we do it. We're, we're sharpening this iron for the guys who are going to war. Yes. Right? Um, and they're protecting us. Yes. So it's like a cycle. It's like a symbiotic cycle. Yes. Right? That just goes round and everyone's connected. Yeah, because life is in ecosystems. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to understand that life is in ecosystems. Mm. Right? Um, there are people who teach, for example, in brands that, mm. you know what, kill your competition. Mm. I'm like, no, don't kill your competition. Because if you kill your competition, you reduce the the desire mm. for that category in your industry. Mm. I don't know if you get mm. what I'm saying. So, for example, if I made shoes and I say, I'm killing all the shoe <laughs> brands, right? right? So I want to be the only shoe brand, right? Right? You reduce yeah. the desire yeah. for shoes. Yeah, because it's just human nature. So human nature is yeah. insatiable and it kind yeah. of plays into so, yeah, so, yeah, so it. Life is in ecosystems. Yeah, yeah. And the more that we understand, and this is where I'm at, you know, yeah. mentally, is understanding that if life is in ecosystems, life works in ecosystems. Yeah. We go into the wilderness, we go into the forest, and we see that the reason why it works is that they understand that they are an ecosystem, mm. right? This feeds to this, this mm -hmm. feeds to this, this feeds to this. Pretty much like Lion King, a circle of life, <laughs> right? So what happens is, you know, even the one who thinks that they are at the top of the chain mm. is food for the least, mm. right? Feeds into the least. If you understand that, this is how societies will yeah. really work, yeah. right? And until more and more people grasp this, they will see struggle mm -hmm. in their societies. Mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and you know, just jumping off of this, uh, talking about brands, right? Yeah. What do you think is one of the biggest mistakes that brands make, mm. or that people make when building a brand? Brand, uh, I think I think there are two mistakes mm. that I've seen common mistakes that people make when they're building a brand. One is that they you try to be something that they're not. Mm. They're not authentic, mm. right? They believe that this is what it is that they should be and what it is that they should project. But it isn't true to the people who are running or projecting that brand, right? I always say that there are always people behind the brands. And if, if your brand story is, is a certain thing, then the people who are running that brand have to embody that thing. So we want to be known for quick delivery, right? But our entire lineup of people who are operating in the back end are slow people, mm. right? We will always Deliver Always slow. Deliver slow. Right? And what that means, which leads to the second thing, is that people do not realize that this brand thing is about making and keeping a promise. Mm. That's what this is about. Is you make a promise, you keep a promise, that is what your brand is. So you are not the one who defines mm. what your brand is. Mm -hmm. You only create that definition by making a promise and keeping mm. a promise. And then people say, oh yeah, uh, I know him, that's what he does, mm. and that is your brand. Yeah. And what happens is that every time people speak about you, they say, yes, we agree, professional. Mm. But on the flip side, if every time you say, I am professional and you are not professional, mm. then this not professional guy becomes your brand. Right. right? So you can say it for all you care. I'm mm. a professional. But everybody says, that guy is not professional. That is what your brand is. That's kind of what you call uh, masters of the opposite, ah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about masters book. of the opposite. Okay. So um, it's interesting because, again, I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart. Mm -hmm. I always want to teach. 
I always want to help people become better versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've gone through training as a banker or as a brand person in the bank, as a management consultant. I have had to go through training to become the sort of person mm-hmm. that I wanted to become. Mm-hmm. But I found out something that every time I go for trainings in quotes, mm-hmm. um, I would always just be in classrooms where people were passing information, right? And yeah, I would have a head knowledge of it, but can I really do it? Not really, mm. right? And then even when I moved into becoming a trainer myself, um, and I had to ask myself, how can I make sure that by the time I am done, these people not only get it, they become it. Mm. You know, when you, when you look at the concept of training, you look at the sports guys, athletes, sports guys, the military, martial, martial arts. arts, right? Um, you will find out that training isn't so much about acquiring information for action as it is about repeating an action for reaction. Mm. Training really is about repeating the same action over and over again till it becomes your nature, mm-hmm. right? That's what really training is. Um, and, and so what happens is every time you repeat a thing, you, you move closer to becoming master, mm-hmm. a master, right? And so mastery, the only way to mastery is repetition. repetition. Now, here's the trick about that, is that if the only way to mastery is repetition, then what it means is that we have seen people become the master of the opposite mm. because they have not picked up the thing that they want to do. For mm. every time you do not pick up that thing you really want to become a master at, mm. you become a master of the opposite, mm. right? So I want to become a master public speaker, mm. but I give in to the fear. I'm now a master of the opposite because mm. I've repeated my fear more times than I've ever repeated attempting. Mm. And this is what the master of the op- masters of the opposite, you are, do- you are always becoming master of something, mm. always. Mm. And if you consider that, that look, every day I am moving closer to becoming more a master at something. Mm. The question is, what do you want to become mm. a master at? And so that's what I was trying to teach and share, yeah. you know, with, with, with my book. It's just, it's amazing. And we're having a beautiful conversation here. Um, I, w- I want to just sort of hinge this on, on, you know, the principles that you have in life, right? Yeah. So we all have different life principles that we live by. What is, you know, one, I know you have multiple, oh, yeah. but what is one principle that you live by that you sort of seen, um, allow you to thrive on your journey? Um, yeah, so it's a, it, I have a lot, but the reason why I, I would say this one is mm. I've, I've seen it work for me. Mm. I've not only seen it work for me, um, I've shared it so many times and I've, I've just seen it work for me. And that is the fact that it's, so it says, uh, there's a quote that says that for a sailor who does not know what harbor he wants to get to, every wind is the right wind. Right. And so for me, this is, this is how my life is. I need to know the harbor I want to get to so mm. that I can pick my winds. Mm. I need to know what harbor I want to get to so I know how to raise my mast. Mm. Because until I know what harbor I want to get to, I would think that every wind is the right wind. I would think that every wind is beautiful. It will take me there. But the truth is, it might blow me in the direction that I don't want to go. Right. And so this for me is, I think, one of the things that has helped me that I've seen and work for me is I always first ask myself, where am I going? And then next question, what winds are blowing to take me in that direction? And then the next thing is, how do I raise my mast to catch that wind, to move, you know, where it is that, that I want to go? 
Awesome. It was beautiful talking with you, Akinabi. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you online? Oh, so these days I'm mostly on <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. So I'm at Mr. Fisher um, on Instagram. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm still on Facebook and, and Twitter. Um, still Mr. Fisher on both, yeah. both places or Fisherman on um, Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was brilliant. I love the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. What's up, Lumination Tribe? Subscribe to this channel for more insightful and impactful learning. Check out our website, luminaworld.com, for show episodes, resources, and events. Let's continue this journey of growth.